Hello, listeners. You're about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2021 MLB season. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Uh, It is currently Tuesday afternoon, uh, September 14th. We are coming at you. This is our 25th episode, Travis. Big, uh, big 25. Big 25. uh, you know, almost, almost, almost through the season here. Regular season is, uh, you know, almost completed. But I'm just gonna bring you guys a few new storylines this week that have kind of come through the MLB. Um, a lot to talk about, essentially, with some of these award races. Otani Guerrero is, uh, you know, becoming a conversation again that people are having online. So we want to give our thoughts on that uh, for the AL MVP, as well as uh, an NL Cy Young race that is getting really hot because Corbin Burns just threw a no hitter. Eight innings of work by him with a with a save, uh, the close by Josh Hader, and then just a, a day or two later, I believe the next day, Max Scherzer uh, gets his not only his three thousand strikeout in his career, but also a one hitter through eight innings, just two crazy performances, and it makes it seem like the race is really between them two. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, some other things we want to talk about: Giants are the first team to clinch a spot in the postseason, which is. Not a sentence anyone thought we'd be saying. Um, the New York, the, I always want to call them the New York Giants. The uh, San Francisco Giants being the first team to do so uh, is a total shock, but um, they have totally deserved it at this point. Uh, they just keep winning these big series, um, and some more, some more, uh, some more hot topics for you guys going down the episode. But I think we can start off with this Burns Scherzer um, weekend we just had. Seeing Corbin Burns do just that well in eight innings of no-hit baseball, and then Hader gets the, gets the close three straight outs. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a really big exclamation point for what I thought was like, okay, the Sion is just his now. All he has to do is not get blown up in the next couple starts, and it's his. But then the next day, Max Scherzer goes on to have a perfect, in, perfect game through, I believe, either the seventh or the eighth. He finally loses it. Gives up a double to Hosmer. That's the only hit he allows. And then uh, they, he ends up getting the win still. Um, so, Travis, I guess, where do you see that Scherzer-Burns race right now? Um, anyone else still in that race in your mind? And then also, uh, how do you make of those performances they had this weekend? No, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a really impressive weekend with uh, both pitching performances. I think I'll go back to, you know, a couple weeks back when I said Walker Buehler was going to be, you know, the Cy Young guy, the Cy Young favorite. It's kind of crazy that his teammate... Uh, Max Scherzer has already passed him, uh, in my opinion, in in that Cy Young ranking right now. It's it's Burns and it's Scherzer um, down the stretch right now. It'll be really interesting to see how these two finish off. And like you said, Alex, a couple weeks back too, uh, one bad start is all all that really separates this entire race right mm-hmm. now. Um, both guys, I mean, having to pitch almost no-nos in the weekend to kind of get a lead on the Cy Young race is pretty extraordinary. Both ERAs are so low um low twos and then you look at some of the advanced stats too um those are really impressive too and even Corbin Burns having the best ERA plus and the best FIP um in uh in baseball and in NL right now but then also looking at Scherzer too uh having the best whip uh in baseball as well and the best ERA so it's going to come down to the wire I will say maybe if the Dodgers win the division that might give an edge over to uh, Scherzer, just because in his eight starts with the Dodgers, he posts he's posting a .88 ERA. He has been unbelievable with this Dodgers team. So maybe if they do win the division, catch the Giants, you might see that kind of being an edge. Um, I feel like we always see sometimes Brewers and Dodgers always competing for awards. You know, we saw Kemp Braun in 2011, and then we saw Bellinger Yelich in 2019. This might be the pitcher side of things where they're both competing for the awards. So uh really interesting coming on the stretch yeah i like the comparison uh with those other mvp races but uh the the point about the dodgers winning the division is interesting because uh i mean the dodgers are obviously a super powered team 
they were already probably the World Series favorite, and then they go and add Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, obviously two huge impactful pieces. Um, if they were to catch the the Giants and to win the division, you know, effectively win the National League, um, I do see that that would give even more uh, votes to Max Scherzer. That's a good point because voters will always kind of follow that narrative of saying, okay, this pitcher made a difference in this and that way. People keep talking about how he might be the best trade uh, deadline acquisition in years, along with guys like CC Sabathia, who he went on to just, I think he had no losses. He just was had, went on a dominant stretch um, when he changed teams at the deadline. And then you look at a guy like Justin Verlander, 2017, was went to a Astros team that was already poised to make a big splash. And then all of a sudden, he's kind of the difference maker to help them really do really well in the postseason. But yeah, Travis, good point. Um, if Scherzer is the impact piece that changes the NL West race, it could help him get even more votes. But I feel like I feel like there's some Brewers fatigue going on right now where they've just kind of ran away with their division so long ago. No one's, I mean, the Reds and the Cardinals are still relevant teams to the wildcard race, but it, it feels like it's been the Brewers' lock for the division for weeks and weeks. It just feels like to me that... Um, it almost like we got used to Corbin Burns and Woodruff and Peralta just having these great years that we kind of just cast them to the side and focus on the new storyline, which is Max Scherzer and how the Dodgers are kind of catching up to these Giants. Um, so in my mind, at least, I think that it. Uh, I'm heavily leaning towards Burns right now. But uh, like we mentioned, we both mentioned a minute ago, it can come, it can come down to one start. It could be one, you know, five innings of you know four and runs by Burns and. It looks like it's all of a sudden just Scherzer's race by himself. If Scherzer just goes out there and gives up, you know, three runs and four innings, all of a sudden it's 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 a it's a runaway for for Burns. So it'll come down to the stretch for sure, which is makes makes me want to watch every one of their starts going down the stretch. It's going to be a really fun race, I think. And that's a good point that you mentioned there with the the Brewers already kind of winning the division almost months ago. Um, that that's kind of how I feel for the AL for the White Sox. White Sox, yep. pretty much, they won that division at the All-Star break. I mean, it, it was such a big lead. And that kind of relates to Lance Lynn and his Cy Young status. It's kind of disappeared. Um, Garrett Cole has kind of taken over for the AL Cy Young. and It's about the storyline because those Yankees are playing meaningful games. Exactly. And we see him do well. Yeah. Exactly. And so uh, both teams in the Central, NL and AL, very similar stories this year, kind of dominating those divisions. Um, and it's interesting that the, the, the viewers and the writers, they might get a little boring. They might get a little bored from that and, you know, mm-hmm. not pay too much attention to that. But no, I think with Burns, he has been the complete package the whole entire year. He has really never slipped this entire year. Uh, Scherzer, he's been the storyline the past six weeks. Uh, historically, I feel like a lot of voters, they look at second halves with really big impact, especially down the stretch with your team, yeah. um, competing for the wild card, competing for the division. So, uh, I would definitely look at it and say Burns right now is uh, my guy, my favorite, just like you. But if I had to bet Alex, I might have to go maybe Max Scherzer just because I feel like there's some sort of maybe big market bias and also second half kind of, you know, just just feeling out there where, where no, it I, makes sense. you know, that, that, that it might go Max Scherzer's way um, this uh, season. But we'll have to see down the stretch. It could be a big slip up if there's a game that, you know, is meaningful and Max Scherzer doesn't pitch well. But by just looking at kind of the numbers, it's been insanely impressive. And, and good point to what you said. The CC Sabathia, um, I think it was 2008, second half, very relatable to this Max Scherzer second half, um, coming over from different teams and just pitching insanely good. Yeah, pretty much an untouchable uh, trade deadline acquisitions. Um, you know, hats off to the Dodgers for getting that deal done. It will make the impact, I think, in a wild card game. It does seem like it would be Scherzer's game to start, um, and he's been so good. So um, that, that's all looking ahead, though. Uh, congrats to him for his 3,000 career strikeout. That's obviously a major, major milestone in his career. We all knew he'd get there going into the season. But, um, yeah, it just kind of shows what level he's still at. Um, kind of transitioning, Travis, now to another big milestone that we're not at yet, and we're going to kind of wonder if we're going to get there at all. Um We've had this talk many times, Travis, as Angel fans, about Pujols and can he get to 700. Um, And our thought was always no because um, we didn't see him playing another season beyond this season. We knew when his contract ended as an Angel, 
we always kind of factored, okay, that would be like his farewell tour. But Travis, obviously, if you've been following baseball this year, you know that he has had this kind of second step of the season with the Dodgers. Um, and he has, his home run power is one of the things that has not slipped, right? Uh, defensively and speed-wise, um, it feels like things get a little bit worse every year and maybe some of the contact too, but the power has stuck around. Uh, he had a home run in uh, San Francisco just about a week or two ago uh, in a you know divisional series. And it just kind of made me think, you know, what would this guy have to do to get to 700? Uh, I think this, what he's done with the Dodgers this year as a platoon player, being willing to say, okay, I'll take a step back. I will, you know, maybe lose half my games played, but I will still get to be in the show. I think he has accepted that role, which I feel like he was not willing to do with the Angels. He wanted to be our, you know, first baseman. I think with the Dodgers, with the contender, he's more willing to take that step back and say, I'll be the bench bat and I can continue trying to accumulate my milestones. So Travis, I guess, where do you see Pujols at uh, by the end of the season, by next season? Is a team going to pick him up to continue this kind of platoon role he's having? Maybe the Cardinals want to get a Yachty last season, Pujols last season kind of combined farewell tour. Um, do you think Pujols can get to 700 is the big question. It'll be, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a huge question because, I mean, with the way he's been playing with the Dodgers, um, surprisingly has been very well, you know, hitting the ball very well with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, I know he's really only playing when there's a left-handed pitcher in the game. Right. Um, and that's a big key to his success. But uh, I guess it's just finding the team that will be able to take him and kind of just have him maybe be the pinch hitter slash left-handed, you know, you're, you're in the lineup for left-handed pitchers yeah um that isn't probably in a compete now mode um and i guess also it's what what he's asking for if he's willing to go somewhere and get paid two million dollars i i could see a, a bunch of teams kind of you know looking to sign him because that would draw a lot more fans uh for for some of these fan bases um cardinals is definitely one i could look at uh the only thing with the cardinals i feel like they, they would be i feel like taking kind of a step back with you know signing yachty was kind of a good thing to do because he's Cardo their whole entire, you know, his whole entire career. But I feel like signing Pools would be kind of a little bit more because you already have Goldschmidt and now you're kind of just, you're doing it more for like the farewell tours than actually competing. I agree. Uh, and so it, it could get a little tricky there with that. I, I could, I honestly could see him even going to somewhere like Kansas City because I know he's from the Kansas City area um, when he actually moved uh, from the Dominican Republic. So I could see him maybe going to Kansas City and playing first base over there because their team had a lot of veterans this year. Um, and Carlos Santana was one of the guys at first base. Maybe he goes and plays first base over there, can get a lot more at bats. Also, DH uh, is an option in the American right, League. DH is an option, and maybe they can draw more fans over there with that. So uh, I think there are a couple options. Maybe he even stays with the car or the Dodgers. Maybe the Dodgers are willing to you know pay him uh, a, you know five million dollars, which I mean I, I don't I don't know if that's how much they pay him, but. Uh, pay him a little money and just say, hey, you're going to be our bench player, same same kind of role player. Um, you're going to be on a winning team. And so uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, right now with the pace that he's at with 12 home runs in 72 games, um, it looks like it, it could happen, but uh, it could come down to the wire uh, for, for our pools. Maybe um, maybe not, maybe so. Uh, it, it's, it's, really, I, I, it's a really tricky question to ask because, you know, 21 home runs away, um, he's so close, but I feel like, yeah, he's so far. Yeah, well put. Um, it really will just come down to how productive he could be next year. So if you had to bet, Travis, yes or no, do you think a team does pick him up in the off season? Do you think he? Because it's gonna become it's gonna become down to is he aggressively kind of saying I want to be an MLB agent, like to his agent, like get me a deal for as long as it's over a million, I'll take it. Like it comes down to how much he wants to stick stick around, you know. But do you yeah. think if you had to bet, is he gonna be on the team next year? You know, I think he really wants to play, and I feel like a team yeah. w would pick him up just because they're like, "Oh, he really wants to play." And Albert, you know, I, I feel like with us Angel fans, we're just we just seen we've we've seen nine years of just decline and failure, yeah. and so we're kind of just like sick of it. But I feel like there are a lot of teams that are looking at what he's doing right now for the for the Dodgers, and they're like, "We could use that." And so I see him probably getting picked up by a team. Um, now getting seven hundred next year, I don't know if that's so. I don't know if. He'll have to get another year, which would be kind of at that point you're kind of crazy. At that and, point, you're talking about 
uh, going on like age 43 almost. You're right. And and maybe something happens where he signs a one-year agreement with a team next year, and then maybe the year after that, if he plays into 2023, maybe he's five or something shy of 700, and maybe he signs a deal with the Cardinals. I don't know. Yeah. It'd it, it be almost like you're trying to get the perfect 700 home run with the Cardinals. Um, it, it'd be kind of... It kind of gets a little bit more. You're thinking about, you're not thinking about winning ball games here, and so. Uh, I, I but I I do think he will get picked up, um, possibly next season. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if it's an NL or an AL ball club. Maybe even the DH comes into effect with the new collective bargaining agreement. Yep. And you could see all thirty MLB teams having a DH, and that would definitely give our pools a spot. Uh, for a lot of a, a lot more markets. So we'll to see. Yeah. Good. Good points. Um, it. It is a very interesting situation for him because the way you're kind of comparing winning ball games versus like the storyline or the milestones is a good point because in my mind, I agree. I think that Albert, you know, I don't want to like psychoanalyze the guy. I don't know him, obviously, but I think he does care about the storyline a bit or the milestones, obviously, a bit more than he obviously wants to win ball games. But I think I just had this thought. I think if the Dodgers were like to win the World Series this year, I think he'd probably just retire. I think he'd see and if he had like any sort of big at bats, like a big double or pinch hit in the World Series or something like that, that's almost like his way of saying, I didn't get to seven hundred, but I had this huge moment in my last season and you're going out with a huge bang. I think if they don't make it, uh it's almost his case to say, Hey teens and MLB, I'll be a cheap bench bat. Um I stole a lot of value. The Dodgers wanted me last year, and they're a really good team, so you should want me too. So I, I can see it going a few different ways, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I do think the Dodgers, I just had this random thought just now. If the Dodgers were to win the World Series, I feel like that'd be a good time for him to retire because it would, yeah. Um, you're going to move on to where, to, you know, like you said, Kansas City Royals makes a lot of sense, but do you really want to do that after you won the World Series? Because yeah. there's no shot to do it next year with the Royals. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. But Yeah. No, no. And, and I, it'd be interesting, too, because that was one question I had. Would he even be on the postseason roster for the Dodgers? Would he even, you know, bear a spot? I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it'll come down to injuries, I feel like. I yeah. do think right now, the way he's playing, he's like one of their best guys that's not a starter to pinch hit versus a lefty reliever. It's so. true. That's true. Yeah. And I, I and you know, also looking at other vague milestones too, I know right now um he's he's less than a hundred total bases away from passing Willie Mays and Stan Musial for third and second on the total base uh mark. So uh that's another thing he could be looking at too. I know I know he might be looking at stats more than maybe winning. Yeah. Uh which I feel like most teams don't want to sign a guy that's just gonna be doing trying to do that. Um but you know, looking at Pujols, he could uh, chip away at a lot of things if he were to play next year. Um, and I think that, you know, getting in, in, in a certain territory of 700 home runs, uh, second on total bases, I mean, you're literally chasing down Aaron for a lot of different stats. Yeah. Um, but won't, of course, get to Aaron in any of those stats. But uh, pretty amazing to think about. And then also RBIs as well. I think right now he's only about uh, 75, or I'm sorry, 65 uh RBIs away from Babe Ruth for second place all time. Wow. Um, so some some milestones that are kind of in reach because as we see, Pools does not strike out a lot. When he goes up there to pinch it for the Dodgers, guys are usually on base. So RBIs are very easy for Pools. I think he almost has 60 RBIs this year. Uh, so it's something that he could definitely chase down. And so I, I, I do go back and I think that he could and will get picked up by a team. But um, it's just going to be interesting to see how that goes and how uh, – how the team will view him as, you know, what what role he'll have on the team uh, for that aspect. Yeah, uh, yeah, good good points, good points. Um, I think now we can kind of shift a bit, Travis. Just uh, there's other awards races that are getting pretty uh, tight and kind of almost fun to track. I want to kind of cover briefly. Travis, right now, there's been a, an AL Rookie of the Year candidate that has really thrust onto the scene in a really big way that a lot of people probably weren't predicting. Um, people thought Wander Franco were, was going to make his debut this year at some point, maybe down the stretch. Um, but I don't think anyone thought that he was going to, I guess, have this kind of impact in this short of a time. It's only been a couple months of Wander Franco being an MLB player, and he's already made his case to win the American League Rookie of the Year, Travis. So 
any thoughts on, I guess, where Franco is at in that AL Rookie of the Year race right now? Uh, it seems like he's overtaking some guys. Yeah, I mean, I've had Adolis Garcia in it for a very long time. Uh, Adolis Garcia had a great first half for the Texas Rangers. Still is having a great season power-wise. Um, and that's really the only big thing with Adolis is the is the home runs. Is that what he's running is, is a lot of home runs. But I will say, I, I mean, I think the, the it's changing. I think Wander Franco will be the rookie of the year. Um, just the way he's kind of elevated that race team. When he when he debuted, the race were kind of stumbling. I think they were actually uh, in second or third place. They were definitely uh, below the Red Sox um, and weren't in first place. And ever since Wander came up, he's just been kind of a youthful inspiration to that team. And right now they're the best team in the American League. They're one of the hottest teams in baseball. And so I see him really being uh, a serious contender for that rookie of the year. Um, and then, of course, the on-base numbers and the on-base streak. It, it's its insane for a rookie to come in and just make that big of an impact um, at the age of 20. Um, he's doing everything right. And even looking at his baseball reference uh, war, a three war, and he's only been here since, if not, late June yeah, or it's early July. 62 games played, having already that kind of war is something, something pretty crazy. Insane. You, I mean, look at a full season, and you're already getting you know north of a six or seven war as a rookie. That's pretty incredible right there. Yeah, um, well said. I'm looking at his numbers right now. 62 games played. So in 62 games, he has 70 hits, 22 walks, 15 doubles, 4 triples, 7 homers. Those are such good numbers for a guy in his first 62 games. Not only a guy in his first 62 games, but a, sh- <clears throat> but a shortstop in his first 62 games. This guy is playing shortstop on the team that's leading uh, the American League and wins. Uh, and it's just... It just uh, <laughs> I'm looking at his page here. It says his nickname is Patron. I've never heard that, but that's pretty funny. But anyways, I, it's just so surprising, um, I guess, how good he was so quickly. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. Uh, Travis, he was born, let me see here. He was born in uh, March 1st, 2001. That makes us yeah. feel pretty old, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely, definitely does. And the good thing I'm bringing up the first 62 games, you look at, I mean, you look at guys like even Mike Trout, and you look at his first couple, you know, months in the bigs, it wasn't anything special, but this guy's already burst on the scene. I go back to you know Joe Adele last year for the Angels. The first cut, the first month, the first thirty games were just disastrous, and this guy has just been a complete, <laughs> complete opposite uh, from that. Just you know, already starting his career out so strong. Uh, very exciting to see what he has to you know bring to the race for the next couple seasons. So, Charles, right now. Uh... He's your current favorite for that. He, he right now is going to be, yeah, he's going to be number one right now for me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I'd probably agree. I'd have to kind of look things over, but um, he has just been a total difference maker, like you said, um, playing shortstop and being great at the plate, switch hitter. This just kind of does it all. Uh, I, I, great I, player. I think the on base streak is what's definitely going to get him because that, that's something that you just don't see very often. Um, right. and, and just to be how impressive that is for a rookie doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, 30 home runs by a rookie, it's happened before. Adoles Garcia, uh, rookies have done that before. But right. not many rookies have come in and performed just like this, playing shortstop um, for the best team in the American League. Uh, it's very, very impressive. Yeah, the, expect- the expectations were very high for Franco, and it seems like somehow he's exceeded them for this first year. You Like you mentioned, Adele and Trout, usually you kind of expect a breakout in almost like their second season. You kind of call them up late in a season, try to get them a couple months of big league experience facing those kind of pitchers. You give them the offseason to kind of develop, and then you say, okay, next year we really want you to be an everyday guy. But this year he's been the everyday guy for a team with high high hopes to you know try to win the, the, whole, the whole American League. So uh, he's been awesome to watch. Travis now shifting over to American League, another race, the MVP race. Um, it's been Otani runaway for a long time, and then just in the last couple of weeks, People are giving Guerrero some serious credit because his average is kind of rising, and he also caught Otani in home runs. So um, because of that, people have him on the triple crown watch. I believe he's just a single digits of RBIs below Abreu. Last time I checked, Abreu was leading the American League in RBIs. But he, last time I checked a couple days ago, he was leading the American League in average and home runs. So triple crown watch is back on for uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. For those that don't know, triple crown is leading uh, your league in Average, home runs, RBIs. Um, Travis, I at the beginning of the season, we were talking about this. We were saying if Otani is an all-star level hitter and pitcher, but not like the best at either, but an all-star at both, 
but then someone else like Guerrero win a triple crown, what is more impressive? Travis, now we actually have to face that scenario, you know, as a very likely possibility. So I guess talk me through your general thoughts on that, and then I'll kind of dive into some other triple crown uh, numbers I have. Yeah, um, and I know we talked about this, you know, months back. I, f- I think the whole season we've been talking about this, these two comparisons. That, you know, it's, it's funny to see two guys really be the leaders of the MVP race for the whole entire season, mm-hmm. Tony and Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, yeah, Guerrero Jr. catching him in home runs, uh, currently leads the AL in, in average, currently leads the AL in on-base, slugging percentage, and OPS. Uh, has really just pushed this Toronto Blue Jays team uh, into the wild card spot and has pushed them into a great place right now. Um, but for me, you know, you don't see a season like Otani happen once every hundred years or yeah, so. Um, never before, truly. I, I told you earlier today, um, I think Guerrero would, would definitely be getting a lot more notice if maybe he was, you know, at a position that doesn't win triple crowns that much. I think I said catcher, middle infielder, and center fielder would be a very interesting uh, take if he was playing those positions and he put up these numbers. Um, I think the voters would be very much looking at this as saying, wow, this is getting kind of close. But um, I think when you're looking at this, you know, I, I, I mean, Otani is a two-way player. He's been absolutely unbelievable the whole entire season. Um, it might not be a unanimous MVP anymore, but I still think Otani deserves 90-plus percent of the votes. Uh, what he's doing is absolutely unbelievable, um, and especially on a team that has just been so injury-prone around him. He's kind of carried that Angels team to maybe they even get 500 yeah, and to me the, that would still be. There's a couple of games below 500 without Mike Trout, it'd be kind without of a Rendon for the whole season. It, it it would really be kind of a miracle, and the way that he's pitched down the stretch. Um, I know a couple of games, past couple of games, he's had a couple of hiccups, but still, second half pitching has been better than the first half for Otani. So, um, it's getting it's. It, I would say it's getting closer, but it's still a very far gap. Uh, if, if if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and and I'm inclined to agree completely that Otani still has that nice gap separating them. But Travis, today I sent you a poll on Twitter. It was just a, a baseball stats account posted a poll to their followers saying uh, who is the current, who, who would win the MVP, the, the two-way star or the uh, triple crown winner, if that's what ends up happening. And it was, Travis, 4,000 votes after like 15 hours or something of the poll being up. It was 50% to 50%. Terrible. And th- that completely blew my mind. It completely shocked me that that many people had what I'm going to call Otani fatigue. I think that we're getting to a point where people are just used to Otani being this good at both. That since we're kind of used to it almost at this point, that we're not as impressed as we were like a few months ago. Definitely. A few months ago. Definitely. And Otani has slumped at the plate since the All-Star break. There's no denying it. He has had two of his worst months of the season. But... If you look at his overall numbers on the season at the plate, overall numbers on the season on the mound, you're looking at a top five hitter at least in the American League, at least. And then you're looking at a top probably 10 pitcher in the American League um, on the season, maybe top 15 at worst. So with that in mind, that's just something we're probably never going to see again, um, have never seen before. So Travis, I have gathered a bit of data here. I have some tabs open, Travis, for some of the past. Um, these are American League uh, Triple Crown winners. Um, some of them MVPs, some of them not MVPs. So we're just going to kind of go through some of these seasons, and you can kind of tell me what you thought about those years, I guess. Um, the, the one that sticks most in our memory, Travis, is, of course, 2012, Miguel Cabrera, Triple Crown winner, MVP winner over Mike Trout. Um Mike Trout was second in MVP voting. Uh, Miguel Cabrera did finish first with 22 first-place votes to Mike Trout's uh, six first-place votes. Um, Miguel Cabrera did lead Trout in OPS by about 30-some points. Um, The average uh, on base and slugging by... Sorry, the average and the slugging were higher for Cabrera, but Trout actually had the better on base. Trout had the better war by a good three points, and that's actually probably because he's playing center field at a high level. Young young Mike Trout was a great defender out there. Obviously, he had the crazy speed on the base paths, 49 stolen bases, but also the speed in the outfield was a huge uh, help to his defense. Um, but yeah, that's a season I always say that Trout kind of deserved the MVP. 
I think a lot of novelty went to that Triple Crown and said, okay, this guy hit a Triple Crown. It hasn't been done in the American League since uh, Yastrzemski back in the 60s, I believe. So people give so much credit to Miggy that season. And I'm not, like, mad about it. Miggy had a great year, and, you know, you could argue he deserved it. But in my mind, he was only 30 points better in OPS, and he's playing first base, whereas Mike Trout was playing center field at pretty much almost a, a gold glove type level, stealing 49 bags. It was a really crazy year for him as well. Travis, I guess give me your brief thoughts on that Miggy season, um, that triple crown year. What are your thoughts? No, the one thing I was looking at that would be pretty impressive impressive to go back, but uh, Mike Trout, remember, he didn't play the month of April that year. Uh, mm-hmm. He got a, he was a May call-up, or at least an eight late April call-up, but uh, pretty incredible. Imagine if Mike Trout played the entire season uh, we'd be looking at maybe a, maybe maybe a 12 war season yeah, by a rookie yeah already at 10.5 war only yeah. 139 games played so you're right if he did get that extra who knows like maybe 50 played appearances who knows what could have happened definitely definitely but you know i, I for me I, I'll, I'll disagree on this i mean I, for me i think miguel cabrera being the triple crown the first one since yastrzemski um you know i think it was what like a 40 something year gap or 50 year gap for that triple crown um also Tigers went to the World or went to the World Series that year. Uh, one of the best teams in baseball that year. Um, Miguel Cabrera definitely shined uh, all the way through. Uh, I wasn't really mad about that. I knew Trout was a, was going to be hopefully unanimous Rookie of the Year. I think he was. Um, but you know, he definitely it's it's one of those years I look back and it kind of reminds me of our pools. Those years where he had to battle Barry Bonds in the MVP race, and it was just another giant among him. Uh, if those kind of guys weren't there, you know, Mike Trout, our pools would be looking at maybe two, three more MVPs right now. Sure, sure. Uh, well put. Um, agree to disagree. You know, that's they had a super tight race and it was down to the wire for sure. Obviously, that the triple crown is what, you know, sort of swung it towards Cabrera. Um, Travis, now looking at uh, the famous 1967 uh, triple crown by Carl Yastrzemski. This was Travis, in my mind. A huge blowout. Not only did he have the triple crown, but he won the OPS title. He had a 1040 OPS. And the next highest that I see is a 965, I believe. Maybe a 979 here by Frank Robinson. But no one within like no one within no one else is above a thousand. And yeah. and, and Yastrzemski is above 1040. He has uh the triple crown and he has a 12.4 B war, and no one else is even at eight. He's up at 12.4, an incredible season. I know he did play great defense. He played 161 games. In my mind, this was this was a triple crown year, but he really won this MVP because he was the best player by far this yeah. season. And even looking at the war, too, the war is just absolutely insane. I mean, he literally leveled up everybody. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you'd even count this as even a true triple crown because I know he tied Harmon Killebrew in home runs that year. Uh, Interesting, yeah. It, it, it's probably something that Miguel Cabrera was saying, hey, you know what, actually I beat everyone in all the stats, or at least, you know, he can say that with some of the other Triple Crown winners. But uh, no, you're right. This year was just, I mean, it was a complete slaughter with uh, Yastrzemski being the best and being so much better than the rest of the competition. And then, Chad, I believe just one year earlier, we see Frank Robinson win a Triple Crown for Baltimore. Uh, this was a unanimous MVP win for him, 21st place votes. A 7.7 war, so he actually is leading the American League in baseball reference war as well. Uh, a pitcher by the name of Earl Wilson actually also had 7.7 war, but his numbers were not uh, impressive enough to the voters, it seems. But yeah, a, a, a 10.47 OPS for Frank Robinson that year with 49 homers. No one was close to even like a 9... I don't even see another 9.50 yeah, OPS. Yeah. No one was within 100 points of Frank Robinson on the OPS, and no one was that close in war. No one was that close in home runs at all. No one even else hit 40, and he was up at 49. So in my mind, another blowout MVP. I think he won it not because of his triple crown, because he was just the best player in almost every metric that season for the American League. Definitely, definitely. And then now, Travis, just keep moving on the list. Uh, 1956, Mickey Mantle won MVP. Uh, One of his best seasons ever. Um, 52 home runs for him. 11.2 B-War. No one else was even at 7B war. One guy at 8 here early win, but um, it's just another blowout, blowout year. Um, 11.69 on the OPS. Uh, Had a batting average over 350. Not many people were very close to that at all. No one was close to 52 home runs at all. No, no, I don't even see anyone else in the 40s, but he was about 52. So, So Travis, the trend I'm noticing here is that these 
these guys who had triple crowns and won the MVP, in my mind, it wasn't because they won the triple crown they deserved it. They were just the best players in so many ways. Definitely, of course, yeah. also noting Mickey Mantle, center fielder, great defense, great base runner, 10 steals this season. But um, uh, keep going down the list, Travis. I get to Ted Williams now. Ted Williams had two different triple crowns. Both seasons did not win the MVP. Both seasons second in voting, which is interesting because I feel like the whole narrative is like, oh, triple crown, got to give it to him because it's that impressive. But Teddy Williams, Travis, one of my favorite players ever and probably the best hitter outside of steroid guys uh, we've seen since Ruth. In my mind, at least that's my opinion. But um, yeah, one of his seasons, he lost it out to DiMaggio. And I think that was just complete voters bias, I assume. I think DiMaggio was on the better team. He was playing center field, but the war was a huge uh, advantage to Williams. The batting numbers were a huge advantage to Williams. Not only did Williams, you know, lead in uh, in the home runs and RBIs, but he also led in average on-base slugging and OPS for both his Triple Crown years. Uh, and that's not only in the American League, but all of baseball. So he was the best hitter in baseball and didn't get any MVP love those years. So sometimes, Travis, that kind of proves that Triple Crown winners don't have to win the uh, the uh, MVP award. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then moving down to 1934, Lou Gehrig got his triple crown, his second best season besides the 1927 year. He had 10 war, which won the American League by a good chunk. He finished fifth in voting, which is pretty surprising. Um, I assume that's going to come down to a team performance because I see I see three Detroit Tigers finished above him. So I'm assuming that they were probably the, the winner of the league that year. But um, another interesting year that uh, a triple crown winner with 10 war in Lou Gehrig finished fifth in voting um and then the last one i see here is jimmy fox 1933 triple crown winner did win the mvp but he was also the best player in baseball this year with a 1153 ops uh, a nine war no one got close to those numbers in the american league so my point being that uh guys like mantle and uh yastrzemski won it not because the triple crown but because they were so so good in every aspect by every metric every stat they were the best players in their league um and then a guys like williams guys like garrig actually got the triple crown did not win the mvp that season because back then they cared more about team team success probably um they also cared about what city you're in other factors so uh i'm just trying to kind of dissect the whole triple crown bias and if Guerrero really does get the Triple Crown, I'm trying to say, is there really a history of, uh, I guess, voters having to give him tons of MVP first place love? Charles, I guess, where do you see uh, the historical significance of the Triple Crown winning after, I guess, that whole kind of spiel I gave? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think Triple Crown will definitely give the voters a lot of um, help when it when, you know, coming to vote for that. MVP, um, triple crowns in history are special. Uh, but I think when you have this season, <clears throat> you're dealing with kind of just a different, different monster out there yeah. uh, playing. Uh, Shohei Otani is doing something that we haven't seen in 100 years. Um, and he's doing it almost better than the last guy who did it 100 years ago. So um, I really don't think that the triple crown this year is pretty valid when it comes to what we're seeing out in the field today. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, I guess, yeah, my point is that Guerrero could get the Triple Crown very easily, but we've seen these guys in the past do it, and not only do they do it, sometimes sometimes they're the best player in the league, sometimes they're not the best player in the league, but either way, when it does happen, sometimes they'll win the MVP, and sometimes they won't. But this year for Otani... It's like we've never seen a season quite like this where you're a well above, you're an all-star caliber hitter and pitcher for the American League. Um, that's just something that has not happened before. And I think that it calls for not only an MVP award, but I think it should be pretty much unanimous. It might be the easiest call, I think, in our lifetime for who should win the MVP, Travis. And despite that... Um, I think a lot of voters are going to give a lot of serious credit to Guerrero Jr., especially because it seems like Toronto, they're not locked in. They're not locked into that wild card spot, but they're definitely poised to keep it. I think that they're yeah. coming on hot at the right time. A guy like Springer has been off and on all season. It seems like he's actually finally back and healthy. Um, Semyon has not lost a step. Guerrero Jr. is getting hot at the right time. So a lot of things are going their way right now. Um, 
But I think even if they do make the playoffs, even if Grodas gets, get, even if Grodas does get that triple crown, I just think it shouldn't even be that close. And that's just mainly going off the fact that um, what Otani doing is more one of a kind, more special than any triple crown uh, that Guerrero could put put up at this point. Honestly, as as a first baseman, um, I don't think it's particularly close. No, exactly. I, I, honestly, you're comparing Guerrero's triple crown to other triple crowns, I and mean, it seems like other triple crowns have been so much better than Good point. Guerrero's. So. Uh, you could probably say this is probably one of the weakest triple crowns um, that we've seen, but still, I mean, a great season by Guerrero Jr. I mean, wh- what he's been doing at his age right now, it's, it's just incredible. Um, but I think, like you said, look at the kind of player that Sho- Shohei Otani is. <laughs> we haven't seen this in in se- we haven't seen this in a century, um, and what he's done this year, it's just been insanely incredible. Um, where I think that that definitely you know, way over, way is more way more impressive than you know any any triple crown. Any triple crown, home runs, RBIs, average. That's that's great and all, but I mean, it's Shohei Otani. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like I like the way you cut that mm-hmm. off. Uh, yeah, essentially, um, you mentioned the age on Guerrero. Tw- I think he's twenty two. That almost shows how special of a player he is and how special of a player he's gonna be in his career. We can only assume it's gonna you know stay at this level for a while now, but. Um, yeah, big career ahead of him, but um, you can't factor in age in my mind to like say, oh, like this guy's season was better because he's younger. But you know, in my mind, it just peak production. How much value do you provide? And when you're like a top five hitter and also pitching one every six games um, at a all star level, uh, in my mind, it's not close. But we, I think we, we sort of we've been beating this dead horse all season just because we are obviously big Otani guys, but we have a lot to say about I guess. One of the most one of the most interesting races for sure we've had in a long time because we've never seen a season like Otani, and then of course we happen to get a generational performance by uh, a guy like Guerrero Junior this season. Um, I, I do like the point you said about the uh, Guerrero Junior's triple crown if he did get it this season would not be one of the most impressive because it's not like he's hitting three fifty like Mantle did. Yeah, it's not like he you know he may get up to fifty home runs. That's and possible. The way Mantle played center field. I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, the most complete player um, at the time with Mantle. I mean. Like I said, I, I think that positions sometimes matter. Um, if we had a shortstop, if we had a second baseman doing this, then it'd be like, th- this is kind of crazy. You don't you don't see this kind of player, you know, any every fifty years or so. So, um, yeah, I, I think position does matter. And being a first baseman, and uh, you know, nothing special on defense with him. Um, he's just a really good hitter, and he's a very good hitter. And Shohei Otani. Um, is just a really good pitcher and also a really good hitter. So yeah. I think it just definitely o- overweighs what Guerrero Jr. is doing. Yeah, um, it seems like we're on the same page about this. Uh, I'm good to move on now. Uh, another topic we can touch on here, Travis, is the Giants being the first team to clinch. Um, that is just something that we did not see coming. I don't think anyone really saw coming. Maybe the most diehard of diehard Giants fan had some sort of sneaky feeling. But Travis, as Angels fans, it seemed like... Every time a week before opening day, we get our hopes up, kind of, you know? Yeah. The Giants fans actually had that payoff this season. Yeah. They got their hopes up. They said, oh, we made some good signings. We kept Gosman around on the on the qualifying offer. Um, what a deal that ended up being. Obviously, he's been a huge reason why they've been super good. Posey's resurgence. Um, Belt has had a great year. Crawford resurgence. Longoria resurgence. I guess, what do you make of their team, Travis? And what kind of staying power do you think they have? Do you think that... This Giants team is a serious World Series uh, threat to win it all. Do you think that they're a real pennant threat? Um, obviously, we know what they're capable of because they have this kind of record. But I guess how legitimate do you think a lot of their um, these performances by guys like Posey, Gausman, Belt, Crawford? Do you think that these guys are going to be able to continue doing it in the postseason next season? You know, what do you make of this whole Giants explosion this year? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely an outlier out there. I think that. This year, you just had a bunch of veteran Giants players all play really good baseball, a really good baseball season at the same time. Um, I think it could trans, you know, translate into the playoffs. I mean, they have all the pieces. They kind of have that same, you know, roster that won the World Series back in the 2010s. Um, so, I mean, they have the guys that have already been there and done it. So, I can really see them um, still using that experience in the playoffs um, to go a long way. Uh, now I, I don't really know too much about even next season. Um, I feel like sometimes these seasons, you know, are kind of just your one hit wonder. Um, A little bit of a blip. Yeah. I mean, we all know the Dodgers are going to be there to stay. So the Dodgers and the Padres will be threats 
for the next decade. Um, but, you know, for the Giants, I don't know. I mean, who knows? If, if Posey can have another great season that he's doing this year, if Crawford and Bell and Longoria and all these guys can have great uh, seasons in, 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 the, in the latter part of their career. So um, we'll have to see how, uh, you know, basically how the playoffs go about it. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if they get, uh, you know, Dodgers in that NLDS because they'll be hosting uh, the wild card winner um, if they finish in the best with the best record in the National League. So um, I guarantee they don't want to go on and face uh, the wild card winner. So uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. A, a first, a first kind of ALDS. Sorry, uh, NLDS series between them and likely the Dodgers, maybe a Padres, or you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe a Reds or Cardinals at this point. But um, yeah, those series are definitely going to be dangerous, uh, possibly. But Travis, I, I saw a good, I saw a good, I guess, um, way to sum it up on Twitter. I, I wish I knew remember who posted it. It was a while back, but someone said, if you told me that Buster Posey was going to have a bounce back year, best year of his last five years. I would say, okay, that's possible. If they said, oh, Brandon Crawford's going to have a bounce back year, his best year of his last five years, i say that's possible. If you said Longoria was going to have his best year of his last five years, bounce back year, i say that's possible. You say uh, Brandon Belt is going to have his, you know, one of his best years of his last five years, i say that's possible. But for all of them to happen in the same season yeah. at the same time, no, that, that's the difference, right? It's because all definitely. these guys are having... These breakout year, like you know, resurgence years at the same time. If this, if two of them happened last year and two of them happen next year, and only one happened this year, they're not they're not a playoff team. But it, all everyone kind of clicked at the right time. Plus, they have tons of I guess role players that have really stepped up in a big way. Um, it's it's been a special team for sure. I'm very interested to see uh, what kind of staying power they have into the postseason in the next season. In a really big series, they have the veterans, so I feel like they're not going to get shaken up by you know facing the Dodgers I feel like they're gonna you know they've beat the Dodgers in series in the regular season so I think that if they face one of these kind of teams they're gonna have the composure but um it'll really come down to how the performance goes um it's it's fun it's a fun I'm glad that a team that um was not part of the script right they're not part of the script that everyone kind of says going in the season oh this year it's gonna be it's gonna be Dodgers it's gonna be Mets it's gonna be Braves uh, for the AL, it's going to be Yankees. It's going to be Astros. That's going to be White Sox. But then no one factored in the Giants at all. Um, and they've been super, a super special storyline of the year. So I'm glad to be able to, I guess, kind of see this come on for them. They sort of caught people sleeping this year. Um, they made some great moves to kind of get to where they're at now. And it should be inspiring, Travis, to other teams in good divisions to not be punting when they're like a 500 team. Yeah. And last season, they showed some promise, but they said, let's keep our guys around. We're not going to rebuild. We're going to say, okay, we have the right pieces. We just need to add a little bit more. Um, obviously, there's some luck involved to get you know Crawford, Posey, Belt, Longoria, all to kind of be great at the same time. Um, but that, that's just where they're at, and they, they, they deserve to get you know the first team to clinch a postseason spot in probably one of the, most, one of the more stacked uh, divisions in the National League. Um, so yeah, hats off to them. Um, shout out to uh, Tommy Lastella is going to be in the playoffs, Travis. That's, that's a, right. That's, that's right. A former Angel. Super hyped for him. But yeah, um, what else is going on, Travis? Anything else you want to cover before? What else is going on in baseball this week? Nothing else too much. I mean, I, I think we're just really getting down to the crunch of the baseball races. I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays have made a crazy resurgence and right now are would be hosting the wild card game if the season ended today. Um Really incredible run by them. Uh, I feel like the Astros, Rays, and White Sox have just been kind of finishing the marathon. It'll be interesting to see if the wildcard team takes more energy into the playoffs than these division winners. Um, I, I see the White Sox have really just been running the race for two months, I feel like. So I feel like the White Sox might not be a team that could be ready for the playoffs. They could be well-rested for the playoffs. We'll have to see. Um, it's a good point you mentioned because I know you, you, like, to, you like to mention these teams that... Um, I guess are showing momentum. That's what we saw with the Nationals, right? The Nationals Definitely. had the momentum going into the playoffs. The Blue Jays seem like right now they're a team with the momentum. So if they were to win a if they were to win a wild card game, I don't think the Rays really want to see them. No, definitely. And then definitely you go on to play the Astros. You go on to play the uh, the Chicago White Sox, whoever may be in that championship game, championship series. You don't want to see them either. You don't want to see these these Blue Jays right now. So um, it's a good point because I do think. Uh, 
like you said, the Astros, the White Sox, and the Rays have all been almost in coast mode. Obviously, they're trying to win games, but they're sort of mentally preparing for the playoffs. Not so much mentally preparing on every game is our last. Like the Blue Jays have been like, we have to win this game. We have to win this game. We just passed the Yankees, but they got past the Red Sox now. Let's got to win this game. And then um, that is ultimately what kind of really gets you in the complete correct mindset, I guess, going into this wild card uh, game they're going to ha- possibly have in, in, a, in a few weeks here. But um, it should be exciting, Travis. Uh, if, if, if it all, when it's all said and done, where do you think these wild card games are going to end up? Who do you think are these teams going to be in the American and, and National League? You know, I mean, well, definitely Dodgers will be hosting. Uh, if, uh-huh. if they're the wild card team, could be the Giants still. Uh, but I, I know the Dodgers and the Giants will be hosting for certain. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they're going to be facing. I mean, if it's going to be Cincinnati, if it's going to be St. Louis, San Diego, even still, you know, Phillies, and not counting out the Mets still. I mean, the Mets still somewhat have a shot. Um, but, you know, praying for that Padres-Dodgers wildcard game. It'd be fun. Um, and then we'll have to see. I mean, the one thing that's funny is that is the, the Yankees and Red Sox will be playing the Blue Jays a little bit more down the stretch. Um, so really big games coming down the line. Um Interesting that the AL West is kind of being left out of the wild card right now as Seattle and Oakland are kind of looking in um, and not in the prime position to, you know, over overtake some of these teams. But Toronto is playing extremely hot at the right time. They have one of the best lineups in baseball going into the season. Um, and just their pitching staff with Ryu and the way Robbie Ray's been pitching of late, uh, they look like a, a team that nobody in baseball would want to play right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, completely agree. Um the Blue Jays have a run differential right now that would indicate a contender. It's like up there with the division winners, um, almost like a two hundred positive run differential. Um, Travis, you mentioned the AL West not being in the in the in the mix right now. A's and Mariners both, like you said, outside looking in. I think that's a good point, and it really makes me as an Angels fan think, Travis, that this offseason could ha- have big implications because. The A's are not really playing like a wildcard winning team like they were the last couple of seasons. Um, the Mariners are having a really good year, but I do think there's a lot of, I guess, flukiness going on. Um, their run differential is negative despite their you know, heavily positive record. Also, I'm not a big batting average guy, but they have had the worst batting average in baseball for like almost the whole season. And they're like well above uh, 50, 500 in the record. So... There's a lot of interesting things going on there in Seattle. Um, hats off to what they're doing because their players are, you know, getting these clutch wins, these close games. are coming out on top. I think they're the best record by far in like one run games, which is an interesting stat. But that's almost kind of fluky in my mind because a couple things go different ways, and all of a sudden you're a losing team. But, anyways, as an Angels fan, it gives me, uh, gets me thinking that this offseason could uh, be a really big deal because. The A's and Mariners feel like they're not out of reach at all. And if we can get to that second spot in the AL next year, AL West, all of a sudden we're in the wild card race and we have a lot to be excited about. So um, I'm just looking forward to that. And hopefully as an Angels fan, the, off- the, the I guess the openness of the AL West gets the gets our kind of our GM and our uh, our scouts kind of looking at the right guys and make, making the right moves. But um, that's all just me kind of wishful thinking. I guess we'll see where that goes in the offseason. Yeah, hopefully, I mean, we can, like, like, I think we always talk about, you know, Angels offseason and, and our hopes, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I think that Oakland is kind of on a transition to start selling some of these players, uh, and Seattle still, I think, is uh, a young team. They still have a lot of top guys in their uh, top prospects in, in the farm system, so um, they're still kind of, you know, getting better and better as the season, you know, goes and, and seasons come, come and go, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Angels... Uh, you know, next year, the next couple of years needs to be a big window for, you know, do you guys want to compete right now? But um, yeah, very, very interesting in what's going on right now in baseball. Kind of a kind of a down week for me and you uh, just for, you know, kind of, you know, what's going on in baseball right now. But um, certain the next couple of weeks, we'll have a lot more, uh, you know, news on who is going to be playing where. Um, I think in about one week, we'll definitely have a good mindset on, you know, division winners and also, uh, you know, where will these teams be playing? You know, right now, I think that the White Sox and the Astros already have a um, a date set to be playing in the ALDS. You can already start preparing for that matchup. That right is now, such a fun series. Which is definitely a fun series because, you you know, a couple months ago, these were the two most powerful teams in the AL at one point. So uh, Astros, White Sox, a great series. And then, of course, you can look at the Rays being just the ultimate uh, team in the AL, and they're going to have to play a really hot 
uh, AL wildcard team. Uh, it could it, be a lot of different teams. Yeah, if they do play the Blue Jays, Travis, it'll be the rematch of the first round last year. Very, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, just a, a a two a two to zero game uh, series win by the Blue Jays over the sorry by the Rays over the Blue Jays, and that was a series where the Blue Jays feel like they were not ready yet. They were the eighth seed in the American League. It was a new format because of the short season, and this this year it feels like you know they really grew up and uh, obviously added Springer, but everyone else kind of developed a bit. Uh, in a big way. Obviously, Robbie Ray, also a huge addition. But yeah, that should be a great series. Travis, I actually have this quote here I just saw on Twitter. Um, we can, we can, this can be our last note of the day. Okay. But just an interesting kind of thing that has in what we were talking about, I guess. Um, I, there's tons of former players, Travis, who I just, I love watching their highlights. I love looking at their stats and how good they were, Travis, right? Manny Ramirez, you know, a, a truly great player. Um, his numbers were incredible, and as a Red Sox, he had some heartbreak moments against the <laughs> Angels in the yeah. postseason. But he had this quote that just came out, I guess, 15 minutes ago on Twitter. Um, Manny Ramirez says, In MLB, there have been many injustices. Mike Trout won several MVP awards without deserving it. I also remember that there was a year that Derek Jeter won a gold glove, uh, and the only one who deserved it was Omar Vizquel. They also want to do the same to Vladdy Jr. So pretty much Manny Ramirez is coming out and saying that Mike Trout didn't deserve some of his MVPs and that the MLB is trying to snub Vladdy Jr. And that's just a, a bit of a... There's a lot to unpack there. I'm not sure I'm really prepared to go completely into that, Travis. But <laughs> what's your first thought after me reading that to you? I, I feel like... I mean, I feel like he's being a little biased towards the Latin American players. Um, you mentioned Omar Vizquel losing to Derek Jeter. Now you say, you know, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. losing to uh, Otani. Then you looked at Mike Trout, um, probably those years where he was uh, leading some of the other guys. But um, I, I don't know why I thought about that because I, I just figured Omar Vizquel and and, uh, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and that maybe he has some sort of bias with that kind of stuff. But uh, it... You know, it's just, it's it's whatever he thinks, but I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I mean, it's not always going to be smart or true or correct, but uh, very kind of interesting how he comes out and says that when, you know, I think everybody who plays the game right now and everybody who is watching the game, a Hall of Famer, a fan, of a voter, they would say Mike Trump deserved all those MVPs. He also should have deserved maybe a little bit more, more MVPs. Um Kind of a yeah, kind of a weird little uh, thing to come out and say. Yeah, I I, I just had to bring it up because I read it in the middle of our podcast. But yeah, Manny being uh, a truly legendary player, but at the same time, Travis, I think there's lots of examples of really good players in both not just baseball, but basketball. It happens quite a bit. Um, I'm sure it happens in football as well. Um, these kind of sports where some of the times the best best players don't even have like the best. Um, I guess arguments to back up their beliefs on the game that they are so amazing at and Manny being one of the best hitters ever um I guess just you know not able to assess I guess the value of Otani that we see over Guerrero Jr. or or the value of Mike Trout playing center field and being the best hitter for a a decade in in the game but um yeah very interesting quote uh I I really wish I, I could know more there's just that one quote I'm not sure what he was asked specifically but um I'd love to hear him unpack it himself, but yeah, I think I think it's pretty common for really elite players to, at the same time, not, I guess, have the best um, takes on the game that they play, and that yeah. and that just that just kind of a, a factor of um, being the best is not the same as uh, I guess, I guess knowing the absolute most about like how to win a game of baseball. Um, there, he's just really really good at uh, hitting baseball, at beating pitchers, and he's a, a legend for that. But. Yeah. Um, in terms of analyzing MVP races, it seems like you know maybe not one of his strong suits. But yeah, I think that he definitely is looking at probably RBIs and home runs the most. Um, right. That you know a lot of players do, and rightfully so. You should, but I mean, uh, it's definitely more of an old school mindset that a player like him might be using. Yeah. Whereas you know today you look at WAR and you look at you know gap between Otani and everyone else is really huge, and then every year Trout also putting up a huge WAR number. Um, yeah, it's a good point that, you know, there's there's different mindsets for different types of players and he... But, yeah, it, I, I was going to say, the one thing that Mike Trout does that helps me and you, and for a guy like me who likes to use the eye test, you know, I like to watch players, see how they play and all that kind of stuff, and, and go back to standard traditional stats, and for you going to advanced stats, Mike Trout makes us both happy because <laughs> we both can agree he's the best player in the game, and it's just clear and obvious, 
watching him. The guy hits a home run off of, uh, I think it was Jacob deGrom, and, and I think it was 2018 or 19 All-Star game, and or, and you, you, Bryce Harper was getting interviewed in the outfield, and he says, if you don't know he's the best player, you know, you're know you not watching the game, or you're not opening your eyes. Um, yeah. He just does things that are that are that are just different. He just plays different than any other player in the bigs. Um, and this season, it feels like Otani's taken that torch in a way, just because definitely. the way he's beating out infield grounders, he's definitely. he's you know top two right now in American League home run race. He is putting up a you know a below three ERA for multiple months of the season. No, definitely, um, definitely. If if Otani had an ERA you know north of four five or even five, if he had a terrible ERA. Then I could be like, okay, maybe Guerrero deserves this because if you're a below average pitcher, it's different than being an all star pitcher. Definitely, definitely. And especially if Otani was just a DH this year, Guerrero would definitely deserve this award. Yeah. Um, but with what Otani's doing, you're pretty much telling him he is an all star pitcher combined with an all star hitter. Um, that's going to make for an MVP right there. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, we agree. We agree. Um, I think too much, much agreeing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that pretty much wraps up everything for today's episode, Travis. Um, any closing thoughts? I guess yeah, we have you know hopefully some hot conversations coming up the next couple of weeks. Like you mentioned, races are going to tighten here for the division by next week or maybe next two weeks. We should know like only these two or three teams are still kind of eligible for this wild card race. Both races are kind of coming down to it. Um, the AL has a good mix of teams. And the NL, it's, uh, you know, the Reds, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Mets are all, you know, still in play, at least. We'll see who gets hot in the last few weeks here. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks so much for everyone who's made it to the end of this one. A bit of a shorter one today. Had a couple of long ones back to back. So glad to kind of, uh, you know, get through this one in a more timely fashion for you guys. But uh, yeah, we appreciate all your support. Give us a follow. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you think about the AL MVP race. Let me know if you want Otani or Guerrero. If you say Guerrero, I might block you. That's okay. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. And we will talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. (laughs)